Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 152, and we're discussing moments in anime we'll never forget. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, especially this episode, because at least on my list, I don't know how I'll avoid spoilers. They're pretty much like all spoilers. <laughs> yeah, unforgettable moments in anime, I think. It's it's a given that they're going to happen at a very spoilery part of the series. So. so yeah, just be be forewarned. We'll try to give you a little bit of heads up. I mean, we're going to share the anime title before we say anything. So that'll be your cue to skip ahead if you don't want any spoilers. I have to say, and I was just talking to you about this before we started recording. I'm so bloated. I don't know what is going on. But if I sound like really uncomfortable or out of breath, I don't know what the fuck I ate. But I feel like a balloon well we did have some pizza or, or I, I guess i had pizza earlier and i had, had a sandwich a, and, yeah and from jimmy john's salad yeah <laughs> i don't know like it's something i ate like yesterday or this morning but yeah i've just felt like a fucking balloon all day and it's not like i need to like fart or anything oh, but okay. i need to like i need to burp and it like won't come out is that indigestion i i took a tums but it didn't do anything i Yes, I, I always go through that Pepto Bismol line of heart. You know, like heartburn, nausea, indigestion, upset, upset stomach, stomach diarrhea. Are, are those any of the symptoms that you? That I don't you know. I just facing? feel like, like I said, like a balloon, and it just won't go down. So maybe you need a burping, like our yeah. baby. <laughs> Can you burp me? <laughs> <laughs> I have been, an, I've become an expert at that. So yeah, I could try it on you. Well, uh, hopefully I don't sound uncomfortable, but I definitely feel uncomfortable. Um, but if, if I do, I apologize, everybody. Just bear with me because, yeah, I can't burp for some reason. If anyone knows what this is, please let me know. <laughs> um, but more importantly, we do have a quick update about, uh, I guess, voting we that took place for one of our recent episodes. So if you tuned into episode 150 of Strictly Anime, we talked about anime that we dropped. And one of the things that we wanted to do as part of that episode is uh, force ourselves, in a way, to give one of those dropped shows another try. So we asked our listeners in our Discord to um, vote for the one show uh, on my list and the one show on Carl's list that they feel we should give a second chance to. So we wanted to share the results of those votes and let everyone know what we're going to uh try to commit to we talked about it in that episode that we're gonna give these shows that that win the vote a second chance but that doesn't mean we're committing to watching the full thing we're just gonna give another try and if we do like it we'll keep watching it and if we still hate it or we just can't get through it then we'll drop it again yeah no harm no foul I guess. <laughs> uh so yeah there was um a pretty close vote i would say on both of ours but on your list the anime that won for you to rewatch or give another try to was Orbital Children. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's only six episodes, I think. Yeah, so that's true. <laughs> um, I hope it's not a snooze fest like it was when I first watched it. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that people would vote for Kanojo Mo Kanojo, uh, but... Just to make you suffer? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm glad that they didn't and that something else won out. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think six episodes would be too much. Uh, I'm still trying to kill off my spring shows, but I'll have to add Orbital Children to my list as well. And then from my list, the show that won by, I think, only like one vote 
was Kaguya-sama, Love is War. Love is War. Love is War. Oh, love boy. <laughs> so, yeah, I dropped that one after three episodes. I, I explain why in the um, anime that we dropped episode, episode 150. So you can you can tune in there for some backstory. But looks like I'm going to give Kaguya-sama one more try to see if I can if I can you know, get through it if I can enjoy it. We'll we'll see. I don't, I'm not hopeful about it, but hey, I made the promise that I would at least try. I think it's worth one more try. Maybe it's like a, it's sort of like an acquired taste for some, but hopefully you enjoy it the second time around. I mean, the, the most recent season, I don't know if it was the last season or if there's going to be more to the show, but I mean, it just took the anime community by storm. People were raving about it. So it's, it's got to be good, I imagine. Maybe it's just not a show that resonated with me at the time I watched it. So who knows? Maybe I'll I'll get really into it um, with the second attempt. So yeah, there you have it. I got really lucky. And our <laughs> our patron, Hernstrom, um, they actually called this out. They're like, Courtney, you got really lucky with the vote because the second <laughs> yeah. place for me was fucking Naruto. That's that is so long. Like, yeah, I, I put that one out there. You know, I knew what I was getting myself into if it got voted for. But yeah, that was uh, that would be an intense commitment because it's what two hundred twenty episodes for Naruto, and the Naruto Shippuden is five hundred episodes. What so the yeah, fuck? Like Seven hundred plus episodes. That's to get insane. There. Which it's not like out of the question for me because I binge all of Gintama in like what two months three months maybe mm-hmm. uh so i can do it it's just would i enjoy doing that with naruto mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> i don't know so yeah i i definitely got lucky there kaguya sama is a much easier commitment in terms of time investment but that's that so our plan is to um start watching these uh again um in the coming days and then we'll keep you guys posted as we make our way through each of these stories and we'll let you know if we've finished them um or if we decided to drop them again and you know if we did decide to drop them at what point and why we dropped it so keep an eye out for that or an ear out because we don't have any visuals it's a it's a, an audio podcast <laughs> <laughs> so on to the main event um we are talking today about moments in anime that we'll never forget and this is pretty expansive we didn't want to limit it to just like scenes in anime but that is a big part of it we're we're first going to go through moments in anime certain scenes um certain sequences or arcs that just like really captured our attention and stuck with us for a long time but we're also going to talk about things in the anime industry that happened that we'll never forget, as well as things in the anime community that we'll never forget. So we've got, I think most of this is going to be anime scenes, at least on my list, but I do have a couple of things from the anime industry and the anime community that I uh, also really appreciate. But to be fair, though, some of these things are good moments and some of these things are bad moments. But regardless, they've stuck with us. We're always going to remember them. So they've made it onto these lists. We are going to exclude anime deaths, however, because we have an episode dedicated to that. And if you're interested in listening, that's episode 112. It's titled Deaths in Anime That Hit Hard. So no anime deaths will be talked about um, in this episode. So let's start off with moments in anime, certain scenes or whatever, that have stuck with us and that we'll never forget. I think my list is slightly longer than yours. Do you want... Do you want me to start? Yeah, you can 
we can go ahead and start. I'm just, I'm kind of going through my list just to confirm that these are indeed moments that I will not forget. Well, if you put them on your list, then you did remember them to some degree. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason that your your brain told you to put it on the list in the first place. I guess, like, are they memorable enough? But I, I think I... I think these stick out. Like these all live rent free in my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll start off with a spicy one. Um, this one is from High School of the Dead. If you've watched High School of the Dead, you know that it's an etchy anime. Um, you also know that there's some really big titties in High School of the Dead. But the moment that sticks with me and uh has stuck with me forever and by the way i loved high school of the dead i was really sad to hear that we would not be getting more of the anime um for an understandable reason uh but i was i was hooked on this show um but one of the most impressive scenes and i mean impressive like in terms of the the choreography and the way the scene plays out like they didn't need to go this hard for it but they definitely did you know for the sake of the etchy it's the scene the sniper scene the scene where the main mm -hmm. character, I can't remember anyone's name. It's been that long since I've watched it. But the scene where Psycho. the- Psycho. Psycho? Right, the- Isn't that the student? girl? Who are you talking about? Oh, wait. The guy with the sniper rifle? The the main character. Oh, okay. Sorry. I have it confused. Uh, I, I do remember Psycho. She's yeah. the one with the long, dark hair, right? Yes. So she was, she was a great character, but- It's Takashi. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So Takashi needs to snipe a zombie or something, right? So- one of the girls is laying down in front of him. Well, as she's laying down, he uses her tits as leverage to steady his sniper rifle. And then he starts firing off sniper rounds. And every time he fires them off, the girl's tits like jiggle. And you see them jiggle from different <laughs> angles. Like they actually like show him like upside down and stuff like the, the camera's just going all over the place. And then as the bullet leaves the, the rifle, it first, so it's like a slow-mo shot. It first passes underneath the skirt, the crotch area of one of the girls. So you get, it's like underneath panty shot as you follow the bullet. And then it goes through the tits of a girl, but in like Matrix style. I, ca I cannot describe yeah. it. I can't give it justice <laughs> describing it here. Mm -hmm. But you see the bullet pass, 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 pass. pass one of the tits as it flops backwards and then it goes in between the boobs and then goes past the other tit as like again her boobs are jiggling back and forth it's wild it's on youtube so if you want to see the the clip just type in high school of the dead sniper scene and you'll see it but i i don't understand why they did that but i'm also not mad at all that they did that they were dedicated to this etchy yeah i'm actually looking at a gif right now of the scene um so yeah he's place the the rifle on top of so it's takashi and then ray which is like sort of his female love interest the one the, with the orange hair yeah um so her boobs are like jiggling all over the place once he fires the shot and then it's the girl i mentioned before psycho uh the bullet miraculously passes through her tits to hit whatever his target was and man i was just <laughs> thinking like if he didn't aim this precisely and shot at the right moment those tits would have been obliterated yeah they would have exploded <laughs> so that one i had to start with that one that one is like one of the most wild sniper scenes i've ever seen in anime just because of how ridiculous ridiculous it is but ridiculous in an extremely entertaining way well i'm gonna take us from an extremely etchy unforgettable moment to a very epic unforgettable moment 
And this is spoilers for My Hero Academia, specifically season three. But I, my first unforgettable moment is All Might's United States of Smash. Oh, shit. That's really good. Mm-hmm. That was really hype. Yes. And All Might is one of my favorite characters on My Hero, if not in all of anime. And it was really surprising to see him taken out of the game so early. Because this fight, like, this happens in his fight with uh, All for One. And it's almost like watching the series finale for my hero um and i i remember watching a clip of this moment on youtube and then one of the comments saying if you think this is the most epic fight scene you've ever like if this is the most epic fight scene you think my hero will offer you've got another thing coming which just made me think like how can anything top this but watching this moment for what it was it was just so mesmerizing um Obviously, All Might has been struggling throughout the first half of the series with this flaw that comes with him wielding all for one, or I'm sorry, one for all, <laughs> uh, but but that comes to a head here where he's facing off against like his ultimate villain, but just the power and the confidence and the resolve that he has to build up in order to try and take down all for one once and for all. Oh man, these words are going to keep confusing, <laughs> but him just gathering up all the strength he can to unleash this one final devastating move against his arch nemesis was truly an an inspiring moment to watch, especially with the music that kicks in. I think it's All Might with UA students is what the track is called. Uh, that, the intensity of the animation and just the fact that he says United States of Smash. <laughs> like there's something so comedic in that because previously, like with all of his Smash moves, he said like Delaware Smash, uh like Detroit Smash, or maybe that was something that Midoriya had said. But you know, rattling off these US state and city names. And then you have the United States of Smash. Like, and we were all waiting for it, too, because you're mm-hmm. thinking, like, okay, he's naming all these places in the U.S., but, like, when is you like the U.S. itself going to come up? Mm-hmm. You just knew at some point it was going to happen, and that made it so much more epic that it was right. kind of like his ultimate move. Yeah. And so he delivers it, and obviously that strips him of his one-for-all powers, uh, but... Like watching that for the first time, I think my jaw just dropped. And thankfully, All Might didn't die <laughs> in that in that scene. And he still serves as a, a mentor for Class 1A in the subsequent seasons. But it was like, is this it for my hero? And thankfully, it's not because at least with the recent season, yeah, recent season six, um, the story has been building up really intensely again uh, but just to know that it, it feels like everyone's trying to or is in all Might's shadow and someone is just trying to fill the void and it's hard to do that with with um, an exit as epic as that and also just credit to kenta miyake the japanese voice actor for the intensity with which he delivered this line i think we watched on youtube uh, a live version of this uh where he he did it on some public talk show and you can feel 
Like <laughs> all of the energy that he is exasperating to deliver this line. I thought he was going to faint. Um, Didn't he spit too? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I could be wrong. But yeah, that was, uh, I don't know what show that is, but it's a pretty well-known show for say user voice actors in japan um there's other really good scenes there like uh uh kensho ono doing mm -hmm. the seven page muda that was really good he did that on on that same talk show but yeah there is a clip of that on youtube so we can share that clip on the discord yeah i don't know if they've taken it down oh, unfortunately okay if we can if we can find <laughs> mm -hmm. the clip we'll share it on the discord but yeah kenta miyaki is just a, a great va and i think he's said a couple of times that he has fainted in the studio oh my God. while delivering lines for All Might. But yeah, this is just one line that, again, lives rent-free in my head. Well, I'm going to take us from epicness. We're just kind of jumping all over the place here, right? Um, I'm taking us from epicness to, uh, I guess, absurdity, but also epicness still. And I'm referencing a specific moment from Death Note. Oh, I wonder. I have a Death Note moment, but let's. Okay, see well, mine's not Ray Pember. That that's another thing. That's like a, a meme in and of itself. So it's not Ray Pember, but the scene that I'm talking about, which might also be your scene, is the uh, the very beloved potato chip scene. Okay, no. Okay, it's <laughs> not yours. Else. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine, my potato chip scene, um, love just stems from knowing about that scene before having even watched the show so we didn't watch death note until very recently when we reviewed it but i've known forever about the potato chip just like i've always heard about ray pember um but i never fully appreciated it until i watched it in its full context but holy shit talk about one of the most ridiculous plot points and then on top of that one of the most epic scenes of someone eating a potato chip i rewatched it in preparation for this recording and i was like damn it's just insane because you've got light who is trying to get past all the cameras i think that are in his room um, that they think he doesn't know about he's using a fucking bag of potato chips to basically write names in the death note to kill criminals um, while also doing his fucking homework like studying for a test or something like that and you have this whole scene play out where he's writing things with both hands. He's uh, like scribbling and like the camera's whipping back and forth. You've got the fucking music building, which I think is, um, what's that one song? Law of Solipsism. Oh, Law of Solipsism. Yeah, solipsism. I, think, I think that's the song that's playing and it's just mm -hmm. building and building. And then you've got Ryuk in the background who I think is going through an Apple withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So he's freaking out and like everyone's just freaking out in this room. And then Light tops it all off by not only doing this, but saying it at the same time, I'll take a potato chip and eat it. And then snaps that potato chip in half with the force that I've never seen anyone eat a potato chip before. Like it was just over the top. It was, it didn't need to be done, but they did it. And it turned out so good. Yeah, you wonder how many resources were spent on uh, um, like animate, yeah, um, animating <laughs> this scene. Something that's so monotonous, uh, but just means so much to the anime community. I also just love the dub delivery of this line. I'll yeah. take a potato chip and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> well, since we're on the topic of Death Note, I'll share my unforgettable moment from this anime. And it's... When Light learns of Ray Pember's fiance's name and reveals to her that he's Kira, but at that exact moment, his 
his message in the death note that he intended for her kicks in and then she begins her suicide walk. Oh, is that during that really phenomenally written episode where they're yes. just walking, but the mm-hmm. whole thing is a mind game? Yeah. Because, that was so good. Yeah. So that episode, I, I just saw the, the name of it, but I, I can't remember. But it's after, I think, Ray Pember dies by Light's hand, right? He I had, think. And then she's trying to figure out who did it. Yeah. And at the same time, Light is trying to figure out Ray Pember's fiance's name, but yeah. she gave him an alias. And I don't remember exactly how he finds out. Oh, I think he looks at her driver's license or ID at some point. And so once he finds that out, he secretly writes her name on a page of the death note. And it's just it's just amazing because it just this scene just shows how twisted and how ruthless Light is in achieving his goals and the timing of it to happen where he he just slyly reveals himself as the killer and you think like, oh, the fiance can go ahead and report him and then it's all over. But because of the message that he triggers in his death note, you just see her face suddenly turn sallow. And then she just walks off forgetting what she wanted to do because she's bound by the terms of that that message in the death note. And it's done so well because if I remember correctly, it almost looks like the realization dawns on her before like the death note really takes over her body and like kind of mm-hmm. forces her hand. So it's like, oh, it's just so eerie. It's great. Yeah. And then I love the framing of that scene where she's walking away. But I think it's almost like she's going up a staircase towards like a hanging noose, basically just signaling that her death is imminent. And we don't see her death on screen, but obviously we know it's coming. And while I felt I felt conflicted about watching this because, one, I'm kind of cheering light on because like, yes, he found out her name. But then at the second time, it's just sad because her, her fi- Ray Pember's fiance just wanted to get justice for her, 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 her fiance. And it just led to both of their deaths. So it, it was a, a crazy moment, but one of many great moments in Death Note. Next up on my list, I'm taking us from Death Note to Attack on Titan. So be ready. Mm. <laughs> Big spoilers. I mean, these are kind of earlier on spoilers, so maybe enough time has passed, um, but it's still Attack on Titan spoilers, and I know how uh, how carefully people tread around those. So I don't think it's any surprise that I'm going to bring this one up because I have brought it up, I think, in other moments on the podcast, but there's been insane moments in Attack on Titan, um, even through the final season. But the one that always impresses me the most and the one that like literally made my jaw drop was the moment when Reiner revealed that he's the Armored Titan and that Bertolt's the Colossal Titan. Because it came out of fucking nowhere. And it was so nonchalant. It almost like went over my head the first time I watched it. I was like, huh? I was mm-hmm. like, wait, what? Uh, And I kind of had like an inkling leading up to it that maybe they were going to be those two because of the way the Titans look. They, They do have features that resemble each of those characters. But again, it was just out of nowhere. And it was so subtle. And like, it's like a blink and you'll miss it moment, but it's more like if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. And I I love that so much. And I was so incredibly impressed by that because they could have made it a splashy reveal. And they've had plenty of splashy reveals in this show. But the fact that the choice was made to just like, just, just drop it, just like really quietly drop that on Aaron Yeager and then watch his reaction to it was so 
good. Mm-hmm. It it was just like a moment that I I haven't felt um in in anime like ever. I don't think I've ever seen a reveal done quite like that. So to me, it it's just gonna it, it has stuck with me and it's gonna keep sticking with me. Um, and I love rewatching that scene on YouTube. It's a great moment in Attack on Titan, and I get that's another show that has plenty of great moments, but. This one being so subtle, it it caught me off guard the first time I watched it as well. And, you know, we have, I think in that scene, there were like two subtitles going on. There's one where it's some characters walking on the wall. I I forget who. I know Mikasa is with that group too. Like She's walking away. Yeah, they're like strategizing about something. And you think that's the more important conversation. But then you just hear very... Very quietly on the side, you just hear Reiner saying, I'm the armor titan and Bertolt's the colossal titan. And but the way he does it, it's it's very much an oh, by the way kind of moment. Yeah. Oh, like, by the way, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to let you know. <laughs> and it's, it's so good. And to that point, the fact that, like, there's other conversations going on, you're in a moment in the show where you've let your guard down because you think that things have quieted down after, like, an epic moment before that. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, cool. This is, like, the cool down moment. And they're like, nope, just kidding. We're ramping it back up. And I I thought Reiner was joking at first. I did too, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I think he's you know, he's just snapped and he's not his mind isn't in the right place. But obviously later on in that episode it's it's revealed like he, he bites his hand or whatever, and then he becomes the armored titan, and then you have uh Aaron screaming like like I can't believe you betrayed us or you're a traitor or whatever. And he turns into the attack Titan and the conflict just goes to a whole nother level in attack on Titan. Um, but yeah, just fantastic buildup for this moment that has solidified a, a, a turning point in the series with it being so nonchalant. I actually have, a moment from Attack on Titan on my list, but I'm going to save it for later. Oh, okay. Uh, because I think it's one of the top unforgettable moments in anime for me. Um, but I'm going to take us to one of our favorite series, and that is Cowboy Bebop. Uh, this is more of a, a melancholy moment, though. And I don't know if this is unforgettable for other people, but it is unforgettable for me. It's when... Ed and Ayn leave the bebop. Oh my god, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, and you know, th- this is the first instance of the bebop crew beginning to unravel in the show as they kind of go their separate ways and kind of forge their own destinies. And having it start with the team's most, I guess, innocent, quote unquote, innocent of characters is just what makes it so emotional. Uh, I think at this point, Ed has reunited with her father, and so she she finds a new purpose in wanting to like follow him or you know do whatever she wants out in in the world. Um, and then you have Ayn who wants to accompany her on her journey, and you know she at first tells Ayn like, "No, Ayn, you have to stay behind." And then you hear him do this like very sad sort of whimper. Aww. But then she has a change of heart, and so they they go off into the horizon, and you have this great song. I think it's called Call Me by Steve Conte, who also performed other songs on the show. Uh, It's just this great slow rock song that plays as they're leaving the bebop and, again, riding off into the sunset. And then it's interspersed, I think, with uh, Spike and Jet. 
eating eggs, like hard-boiled eggs oh, on yeah. the bebop, which is, like, <laughs> you know, that's, that was kind of their moment to cope with realizing that their team was starting to spread out a bit thin. Um, but I think this scene just resonates with me more because, as most of you know, we had a corgi named Ayn who passed away a couple years ago. And so this scene just hits a little bit more differently now. Uh, but, you know, I like to think of this scene very fondly. Like, it's, it's, it is melancholy, but there is some positivity to it. Because in my head canon, Ed and Ayn are just off having great adventures. And so, yeah, this, this scene, it, it hits different now. It wells me up with emotion. And that's why I think it's an unforgettable moment in Bebop. Well, I'm going to see your bebop scene and I'm going to raise you a bebop scene. And it's not even like a very pivotal scene, but it's for very similar reasons um, that you love the scene that you just talked about. So for me, and this is super personal, uh, but for me, the the moment of bebop that stuck with me forever was the first time I ever saw Ayn on screen. Mm. Um, I don't even remember what episode it was because this was during the tsunami days, I believe, um, when bebop was on Adult Swim. And I don't know what episode I was watching. I was just watching one of them, whatever was on TV at the time, and it had Ayn in it. And I before that, I never even knew what a corgi was. I actually discovered the breed while watching the show and, and seeing Ayn on screen. And... I'm not exaggerating. It it changed my life forever. Like no no joke. As Carl just shared, and as some of you know, like we uh, our our first pet ever was our corgi named Ein um, that I adopted right after I graduated college. Um, I love that dog to death. One of my my greatest loves is that dog. He passed away when he was almost 15, so he lived a very long life. Um, but I I miss him like crazy. And when we adopted him it not only changed my life but i feel like it changed my family's life too Mm -hmm. because now we went from a family where like my parents were like no you can't have a dog like you you're not going to take care of it you don't have the money for it right now um they went from that kind of family to like obsessed with corgis like corgis are everywhere in my parents house like my mom has like corgi towels and a a corgi shower curtain yeah She's got um, tons of like corgi decor everywhere. And we even have like corgi Christmas <laughs> where all, a lot of our ornaments on the tree are corgi related or um, a lot or of the Christmas gi- sweaters. Yeah. Or we have corgi Christmas sweaters and a lot of the gift wrap that we have has corgis on it. Um, yeah. It just he changed our world. Um, I have a tattoo of Spike and Ein, uh, which I got after Ein passed away. And we have a second corgi, as you guys all know, Rigby, who's laying on the floor, just just chilling, living his best life. So the reason that's so personal to me, seeing Ayn on screen for the first time, is because at that moment, I didn't even know what kind of dog that was. I didn't even know if it was a real dog or if it was just made up in this anime. But I, I knew I had to find what that dog was. And when I discovered what that dog was, many years later, I knew I had to have one of my own name him Ein, and the rest is history. So yeah, love Cowboy Bebop for many reasons, but also because Cowboy Bebop brought Ein into my life. That was episode two of the series, Stray Dog Strut. But see, I don't where... know. That was, yeah, that was Ein's um, introduction. Mm-hmm. Technically, Ein was like one of the first early members of the Bebop crew to join. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the episode that I actually saw Ein for the first time. I want to oh, say the okay. scene, and there's many scenes like this, but I want to say the scene was when Ein was on the Bebop and floating in zero gravity. Oh. But I think there's a couple of them like that. So truthfully, I don't know which specific episode it is. I just remember that was the scene because I was like, 
Those little legs are so cute. It's just floating there with those stubby little legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ayn is one of the best boys in anime for sure. Yes, we miss him terribly. Well, I know we've been a little bit sentimental with these two past unforgettable moments. I'm going to go to a really goofy one, <laughs> you know, just to lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, this is one from Hunter Hunter uh, from the election arc. So kind of major spoilers here. But for me, it's when Leorio punches a hole through the floor and then it ends up going into his fist ends up going into the podium where Jing is standing. And then it just... It launches him off his feet. I actually have this exact same scene oh, on my really? list. Yeah, it's <laughs> phenomenal. I I really love the chairman election arc. Um, I know there's great arcs out there in Hunter x Hunter, but I think the election arc is one of my favorites because of Leorio. He is mm-hmm. just unhinged, but in like for for good reason because he's upset about the situation Gon is in. Yeah. yeah, that is such a good scene because Leorio gets so mad at Jing, he actually manifests Nen. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that's how like, mad he was. <laughs> I think, like, this was his first instance of getting Nen. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, just what a what a way to a- achieve that or to manifest that. And, yeah, there are many unforgettable moments. I know I've been saying this for, for Death Note, for Attack on Titan, but there are many unforgettable moments in Hunter x Hunter especially looking at the Chimera Ant arc uh, with Gon and how his Nen plays out in there. But none were really as hilariously outlandish as this moment. Uh, first of all, it's great that Leorio is so willing to step up for his friend that he wants to smack his own father and, and set him straight and when his father is just not having any of it, you see the rage build in Leorio to the point where, again, it's him punching. Was it the ground? So I rewatched the scene. Uh, Leorio was standing at a podium asking a question and mm, Jing was okay. sitting at the, the panel table um, on stage. And Jing is like, like Leor- Le- Leorio is questioning him. And one of the questions is like, why won't you go visit your son in the hospital? And Jing's like, did he say he wants me to visit? And Leorio just gets set off at that mm-hmm. point. He's like, he can't fucking say anything at the moment. So he just starts yelling and he like takes his fist and he punches the podium downward. Right, but right, as right. He, his fist <laughs> almost reaches the floor, a hole opens up and then it like shoots like out and up towards Jing where a hole opens up in the table and just Leorio's fist comes out of the fucking hole <laughs> and socks the shit out of Jing's chin and sends him flying backwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had it backwards where it was the podium first and then the floor. Uh, but <laughs> just what a like what the fuck moment. But I also love that none of this is related to the matter at hand for the Hunter Association because you know, they're, they're trying to elect a new chairman. But then the hunters in the audience see this and then they immediately want Leorio to become the next chairman uh, just because like he's he fought the law but he won this time um so i like this because yeah the the chairman election arc happens after the chimera ant arc and there's just so many emotions that go through the characters of Hunter Hunter in that arc, but you have this kind of more lighthearted part of the story, and that's all just capitulated by what Leorio does, and it, it's this moment that really made it unforgettable. 
So like I said, this uh, scene was also on my list for Hunter Hunter, but I have two more that also happen in the chairman election arc that are pretty much directly related to this. So the next one that um, I really love and I'll, I love rewatching, I'll never forget it, is when Leonio eats his phone. <laughs> so the context is he's wanting to talk to Kilua, but I don't know if he's like the butler, like the family butler, or whatever the character's name is. Um, the guy that Kilua is with won't let him talk to mm-hmm. Kilua, and so Leonio calls him, and he's like, you can tell he's trying to remain calm, but then he starts yelling at the guy, and he's like, "Hi, can I fucking talk to Kilua?" But he's <laughs> shouting it so intensely that he eats his phone. He shoves the phone in his mouth to make it as loud as possible, mm-hmm. and it happens in a split second. Like the actual moment where he puts the phone in his mouth is super fast, but the, you see it, and you're like, "Wait, what the fuck? Did he just eat his phone?" Yeah, I think when we watched this together, we had to go back and actually confirm that this happened. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who are on our Discord, um, you might notice that my picture on the Discord is actually of the moment where Leorio eats his phone. <laughs> um, and I guess that's just a plug for our Discord for those of you who aren't members, uh, the link to our Discord is in the description. But yeah, that again, Lewis just shines in the chairman election arc, and he's not even the focus, but <laughs> he definitely steals the spotlight. Well, I do have one last Leorio Le- moment um, from that arc. And this one's super special. I love it so much. It's so wholesome. It's the moment when Leorio and Gon reunite after mm. Gon is, uh, he wakes up from his fucking coma or whatever. It's so good because you have Leorio on stage, right? And like, I think prior to this, I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think prior to this, he's trying to tell everyone like, please don't vote for me. I don't want to be chairman. <laughs> yeah. Please stop. <laughs> and then you have the doors to the top of the steps open up. And Leorio realizes like, oh, my God, Gon is better. And he sees Gon. But it's all in slow-mo. And you see Leorio's face like well up with tears. And he just screams Gon's name and like drops the mic, runs over to him and just gives him like the biggest hug ever. And it is so heartwarming it is so amazing because i feel like leorio is like the big brother that gone never had so watching the two of them you know reunite and seeing the relief on leorio's face that gone is okay gone survived what happened to him is just it's so good i love watching it it's like good for the opposite reason or of like the leorio punching jing scene mm-hmm but I guess it's like a culmination of that whole arc with, yeah. <laughs> with Leorio showing so much concern for Gon. Um, I like how it, I think when the doors open, it's Moral who appears first. Yeah, I think so. And you know, like something great is about to happen. Uh, but it's Moral who I think he gives a thumbs up to Leorio. And there's like snot running down his face. He's crying mm-hmm. so hard. And then you see the reveal of, of Gon. And then the emotions just start pouring out. Uh, and it's just fantastic because Leorio was pretty much absent for all of like the 60 plus episodes of the Chimera Antarch. And so I, I missed seeing him on the show, but the election arc more than made up for that where we have moments like this. Uh, although it's kind of bittersweet because the Japanese seiyu for Leorio, uh, Keiji Fujiwara, passed away recently. Um, so unfortunately we won't hear him voice Leori again if Hunter Hunter ever returns to adapting um, in anime form but I think he definitely went out on a high note with 
his final work in the show. So do you want me to go again, since I have, I think, more on my list than you do? Uh, how many more do you have? I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six or seven more. Okay, I think I, I just have... Yeah, I've, I just have five left. So. Okay, let me jump in with the second one um, just so that you don't have to sit through all of mine at the end. <laughs> but the next one I have, sorry, I'm going to go back to something that's really emotional. Um, the next one I have is from Kotaro Lives Alone. Mm, and okay. we've talked about this show many times here on Strictly Anime. It is an unexpected hit. We love it so much. We binged it um, the same day we, we first picked it up. And it's well worth the watch. And we've tried very hard to not talk in depth about Kotaro Lives Alone because it's a show that you need to go into blind um, and kind of discover what's going on as you go through the 10 episodes. So if you haven't watched yet, I highly recommend skipping this part and going on to our, our next anime that we're going to talk about. Um, but if you have watched Kotaro Lives Alone, you may recall the scene where we discover the reason that Kotaro likes giving tissues to his neighbors. Oh, And the reason is that he eats them Mm. or he used to eat them when he uh, was neglected as a younger child um, because he was starving. He ate tissues um, because he was so hungry. And I I rewatched the scene. Uh, The realization happens when there's an interview happening on TV and a guy says that he did something similar when he was young. But when you're that young and you're so hungry, even tissues taste sweet. And I'm like, damn, that hurts so (laughs) bad. I was like, holy shit. There's a lot of moments in Kotaro Lives Alone that hurt real bad when you realize what's going on and then you get the full context. But that one, I think, stuck with me the most. That was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, this show, Kotaro Lives Alone, was just too real, but just in a way that, like, it, it didn't, it wasn't, like, all too depressing, but it just made you think. And yeah. that's what I appreciate about Kotaro Lives Alone is, in a way, it, it tries to lightly tread upon these serious topics, but in a way that just really makes you think about yourself and, and the world around you. Um, but yeah, that, that's one scene in the show that just messed me up. And I'm kind of hitting myself in the head because there is another unforgettable moment for me in Kotaro Lives Alone that I didn't put on my list. And I don't want to talk about it too much because like you said, there's something about this show where I think people just need to go in without, or like with an open mind and without having prior context to it. But the one I want to bring up is... Um, the cemetery scene. That's all I'll say. I don't remember that. Wait, what? Give me like another clue. <laughs> so Kotaro's roommate or apartment mate brings him to the cemetery. Oh, oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, like I, I'm getting chills thinking about both of these moments. Cause, cause Kotaro can't, can't read. Uh. I, I forgot why, but or, I, I think... Or no, he can't, we can't, can't he read? Like, the apartment <laughs> mate was covering a part of the cemetery. Oh, right. He can read, but he didn't want him to read something. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Oh, ooh. Ooh. But yeah, everyone watch Kotaro. <laughs> Moral of the story. I guess I'll jump to another sentimental and unforgettable moment in anime. I feel like this has kind of become a meme, 
because whenever people think about this moment, they always say, oh, this is peak anime. I'm talking about a scene in Demon Slayer Season 1 where Tanjiro and Nezuko team up against Rui. This one is also on my list. Oh, Great minds think alike. Uh, I think this is where we see the first instance of Tanjiro using the Hinokami Kagura, the flame dance. Is that right? Yes. Uh, And then that paired up with Nezuko's demon blood art, which I also think that's one of the first instances we see her using um, this offensive technique. Uh, There's just so much leading up to this moment, especially with you're like intertwined with Rui, the Kizuki story about him wanting to establish a family. And that's why he's kidnapped Nezuko and wants to take her in as his own sister. But you also have Tanjiro, I think in this episode, also reflecting on why he's become a demon slayer. And and the reason he's doing all of this is because of Nezuko and how she's really the only family that he has. And I think what highlights this moment for me is is the music, which I believe is called Kamado Tanjiro no Uta, which in Japanese uh, means the song of Tanjiro Kamado. And it's just this, it's this sweet but sorrowful melody uh, with a female singer, and it's highlighted by strings and a piano, and it just blends in so well with a masterfully animated scene by Euphotable where the brother and sister pair are fighting against this demon. And it's amazing because they don't actually defeat Rui in the end, although Tanjiro manages to somehow chop his head off, but it's not enough. And then Gyu has to step in in the next episode and just kills Rui in like 10 seconds. But (laughs) just the majesty of this moment and it really solidifying this relationship between Tanjiro and Nesco, this very special relationship that also just kind of goes beyond their familial relations, uh, was just so amazing to witness on screen. And the choreography, the colors, just the the whole way that the fight went down. I mean, I, I think the entire Demon Slayer fandom, the anime fandom, was so hype about this episode, which I think was episode 19, right? I believe so, yes. It's just like that was like the talk of the town. Um and rightfully so, because, yeah, it, it was just so well done. And there have been other fights in Demon Slayer that pair Tanjiro and Nezuko up. But this one was, like Carl said, so special. It was the first one. And it the whole fight was fueled by their sibling relationship, their sibling bond. And, yeah, it just it came together so well. It was so fucking good. But, okay, I need to take us from all of these amazing moments to a really shitty moment. We haven't had a shitty moment yet, so <laughs> okay. here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first one here. Um, and it's the end of Promised Neverland Season 2. Oh, uh, just okay. It's not a specific scene. A, yeah, it's just way. the way that disappointment <laughs> landed on mm-hmm. all of us Promised Neverland fans. So uh, if you're not familiar with Promised Neverland, this is, like, major spoilers for basically the end of the anime um and yeah you've been warned for that but the first season is phenomenal i remember that it was a a show that i immediately recommended to you I'm like you have to watch this i watched it by myself i'll watch it again with you you have to watch the promise neverland it is so good so of course we were super hyped for season two to come through 
season two hits and like it's rough around the edges like it's not as good as the first but you know what I still enjoy the story so I'm willing to watch it and then the last episode happened and I'm like wait what (laughs) I was like absolutely dumbfounded because they basically gave up at the end and did a like a slideshow of every other Mm -hmm. major arc that happens after the end of season two um, in the manga and then just gave us the end of the show and I was like wait is this legitimately the end of the anime is this legitimately the rest of like the story and granted being a an anime only person I had no context for what I was even seeing on screen during this like slideshow so doing research I'm like holy shit they did just show us like pictures of of all the climactic moments of all of the remaining arcs from the manga and then they just showed us the very end of the story. <laughs> it was it was the most like again disappointing thing that I had seen in a long time. Um, and I understand there were reasons for kind of like the studio giving up at the end. There were a lot of like production issues and whatnot. But damn, it hurt because the show was so good in the beginning and ended on one of the worst notes I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't it like the in the credits of one of the episodes or like no one wanted to take credit for how bad the, it was. Yeah. Like one of the, the last episodes for uh, season two. I mean, there was enough writing on the wall in season two where I think you and I started to realize, oh, this show is not going in the direction we had hoped for. But it was just all solidified in that final episode of like how much they did not care. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would have rather they had not included any context of what happens in the rest of the manga and just ended season two where it would naturally have ended because we've gotten that plenty of times, right? Like a show ends before the story ends and it's like you either have to just live with that or you go read the manga. Hunter Hunter is an example of that, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think th- in this case, maybe they tried to give it a, a quote-unquote proper end or at least an ending. But yeah, like I said, I would have just rather... They have ended season two where it naturally would have ended and not given us that slideshow. And I would have been like, okay, fine. Like, at least I know there's more to the manga. I can pick that up if I want to, which I probably wouldn't. Um, but I don't know. I feel very weird about the way that they just slapped all the scenes together and said, here's the rest of it. Yeah, that show fucking sucked. <laughs> well, the first season was phenomenal. Okay, yeah. It's like it's like a, a mixed bag. Or not a mixed mm-hmm. bag, but like hot and cold. It's a love-hate relationship because I love the first season. I hate the second season. Yeah, okay, I'll rephrase. The season two fucking sucked. <laughs> uh, I, I wish this was a, forget- a forgettable moment in anime, but it's... But we'll never forget yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to another slightly depressing route and an unforgettable moment for me in anime. This is from Kids on the Slope, which is one of my favorite anime of all time. So I'm not sure if a lot of our listeners have watched this show, but if you haven't, I encourage you to do so and to skip ahead. Um, But I'm referring to the disappearance, the sudden disappearance of the character Sentaro in Kids on the Slope. Is that like the big blonde guy? Yes, and I actually just realized that he is voiced by Yoshimasa Hosoya, who is the same voice actor for Reiner, I believe. Oh. In Attack Before on we Titan. were really introduced to him properly, the voice actor. Yes. And so it's been a long time since I've watched Kids on the Slope, but I remember this scene specifically because leading up to it, you have uh, Sentaro and Kaoru 
who are kind of like polar opposites in the in their high school student body. One's like sort of geekish, and then you have Centro. Or Kaoru is like geekish, the, geeky. geeky. Sorry. So you have Kaoru, who's <laughs> like more of the, the quiet, geeky type, and then you have Centro, who's more of like a jock, but they bond together over their love of jazz music. And then you have an, another character filling out the anime trio, uh, Ritsuko, and they're rehearsing for uh, um, an, an upcoming performance at their school, not maybe not festival, but like a school concert. And you think it's going to be all hunky dory for them. But something happens where Centro feels like super guilty about this thing that's happened and he just suddenly disappears. And it's it's not unexpected because Centro's backstory, like you learn about it and it's not a very positive backstory. It's one filled with a lot of strife. Uh, so it's kind of expected of his character, but you just realize how devastating this is on the trio itself because they were so looking forward to this moment and it was probably going to be a, a musical highlight for them and for the series, but then it's just robbed of them because of this dramatic incident and with Centro suddenly exiting out of the story. Like there's a lot of things that happen after this where you can see this incident having an effect on Kaoru especially. Um, but it just, for me, it was such a shock to my system to realize like this is one part of the main trio who's just no longer there. Uh, but I think it's a moment that really solidifies for me why I love Kids on the Slope because of how it shows music being this undeniable connection between people. Yeah, it was kind of surprising, like very unexpected when he just disappeared. And that that was before the time skip. Yes. So, yeah, you, you go. It, it made you feel empty as a viewer, mm -hmm. even though, you know, it like he eventually resurfaces, like just the time that he's gone because you spent all this time watching him in the story and then he's just gone. Like you can identify or feel for the main characters when they're like, holy shit, what, where'd he go? Like the confusion mm -hmm. and, and again, that emptiness, like I, I felt it when I watched it. And then like seeing him on screen again, it was like, it was weird. It was like happy because I, he was my favorite character, but also like kind of lonely. I don't know yeah. why lonely, but I felt lonely still like seeing him on screen again. Just be I think because of the time that had passed where those characters missed out on like making memories together. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's kind of bittersweet because he resurfaces after a point where you think it's almost like he and Kaoru are past their, their musical prime. But I will say that the show does end on a, a positive note uh, with that time skip and when Sentaro eventually resurfaces. But again, if you haven't watched the show, I know this kind of spoiled it for you if you listen to this part, but I highly encourage you all out there to watch Kids on the Slope. I'm going to keep the um, emotional stuff going with a moment from Code Geass. Okay, I, I have a feeling I know which moment. I mean, there's a lot of emotional moments in Code Geass, like a lot of them, but this one in particular just has always stuck with me. Um, and <laughs> this is the moment, spoiler alert, this is the moment 
when Lelouch accidentally forces Yuffie (laughs) (laughs) to commit mass genocide. (laughs) Like, imagine hearing that out of context. Lelouch accidentally forces his sister to commit mass genocide. Like, that is a wild thing to hear when you haven't watched Code Geass. Mm -hmm. But it does happen. And I believe we talked about this moment in our deaths episode that I referred to earlier. Um, So I'm not going to talk about the actual death that happens after this moment. This is everything leading up to that. So it's it's Lelouch talking to Yuffie. Um, they're kind of reconnecting, right, after being uh, estranged. And they're, they're just kind of like, it, it's a very lighthearted moment. So similar to the moment in Attack on Titan, this is a moment where you let your guard down because you think like everything's good. It's leading up to a very positive moment or what you believe to be a positive moment. But then one simple mistake Something that Lelouch, who always kind of has his ducks in a row, who always has a plan at hand, who always has his shit together, something happens that he's not aware of that causes this mistake. And and it's just so weird for Lelouch to have something like this happen to him. But the Giosk power evolves and he unintentionally, like, he makes a joke about you feel like killing all of the the Japanese people that are at this event. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it activates the Gios and it forces her to do it. And what's worse about it is that it's one of the very few moments or maybe the only moment in Code Gios where somebody actively fights the Gios power. Like you see, you feel like, oh, right, like yeah. this is literally the opposite of anything she would ever do. This is not ingrained in her being at all to do something like this. So she starts kind of fighting it and then it takes over her and she like, she like runs out and tells her like guards or whatever to start firing on the Japanese people. But she says it in such a jolly way because she's just such a, um, a happy person, He's a like, very oh, positive person. She's like, can you all please me? die? Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy it's absolutely crazy and oh my god it hurts so bad to watch this to that particular character because she is so fucking innocent it's just crazy to think all of that happened over a simple fucking joke yeah a simple mistake like mm-hmm. it's it's uh that makes it hurt so much more i think yeah that on top of like you said Yuffie being one of the most innocent and purest of heart characters on the show for her to be the one to instigate this this bloody massacre uh but this was one moment in Code Geass that I was actually able to follow. <laughs> you know, like it's ev- an intense show. Yeah, everything in Code Geass happens in a blur. It's but... it's go go go. There's no breaks in Code Geass. <laughs> but no, this was one moment where like my jaw actually dropped because like. <laughs> Seeing Lelouch, like he delivers the joke, and then he suddenly, I think he suddenly realizes what happens. Yeah. And then that's where Yuffie's like trying to fight the power of Gias. But I think this is just a great way to highlight the consequences of the Gias power if left unchecked or used in a way that you hadn't intended. So yeah, it ripped me to pieces. Um, there's it ripped plenty... the Japanese to pieces. Oh my god, <laughs> it's horrible. It's it's like the way the scene unfolds is so epic, but like what is actually happening is so awful. And and yeah, it's just one of the many moments in Code Geass that hurt real bad. Well, I want to return us back to a lighthearted, unforgettable moment. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I'm I'm wondering if this is on your list, but. This is a moment from Uramichi Onisan, 
And it's the Dick Feynman oh joke. Oh my God, I forgot <laughs> about that joke. Oh, that's good shit. Yeah. And I, I think this is, I think this happens in the first or second episode of the show. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Unamichi Onisan is a, a show about these characters who appear on a kid's morning show in Japan. And so, you know, they're supposed to have a positive outlook on like on life when they're presenting in the show. But in reality, they are like sort of jaded millennials. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's one particular scene where it's uh, Uramichi backstage and he's having a conversation with his coworker, uh, Iketeru, which both of these characters, by the way, are voiced by terrific seiyu. Uh, so you have Uramichi voiced by Hiroshi Kamiya, best known as the voice of Levi on Attack on Titan. And then Iketeru is voiced by <laughs> Mamoru Miyano, one of the craziest uh, seiyu. That guy is there. unhinged. <laughs> uh, probably most famously known for voicing Light and Death Note. But here he, he voices this character who has a thing for dick jokes. And so... This scene, it, in the bigger scheme of things, it doesn't matter in this show. It's just Iketeru telling uh, telling Uramichi this joke he heard about a physicist named Richard Feynman, whose name, when abbreviated, becomes Dick Feynman. And he just finds that joke so hilarious. But I think it's just the delivery of this line that really solidifies this as an unforgettable moment because the way that Mamoru Miyano says this line he says it with such a, a realistic like stifling laughter and it feels like he is actually laughing at the joke I'm while knowing that guy he probably is laughing at the joke <laughs> <laughs> like laughing at the joke while they're recording this but then in the scene itself you pan to Oramichi, who just has this monotone face as he's listening to this joke, kind of like, what the fuck? Why the fuck am I here right now? <laughs> um, but then in the subsequent scene, like he learns that Iketeru has this thing for dick jokes. And so he goes through this laundry list of other dick jokes that uh, make Iketeru trying to hold in his laughter. But then it ends up uh, self-destructing on him because he just has a laughing fit. Uh, so I think... This scene is just a great testament to the fine voice acting by Japanese seiyuu and just stellar dirty jokes in general, as well as being a masterclass in translation. Because I think in the English, it was Dick Feynman who was used as the joke about uh, physics. But in the Japanese, it's the Tyndall effect that's actually being like literally talked about. But in Japanese... It's translated as chin daragensho, with chin being a word that means penis. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so in effect, it, it works both ways for the Japanese and the English translation. So I want to give props to whoever translated this scene for getting the nuance of it right. Yeah, I have to say, uh, Mamoru Miyano's laugh in that scene has to be one of the most realistic and contagious laughs I've ever heard in anime. It's so good. If you haven't seen that scene, um, just Google Uramichi Onisan dick joke or like uh, laughing scene and you'll you'll see what we're talking about. So I realize almost all of the rest of mine, except for like one, when it comes to anime moments, um, are all like emotional. <laughs> oh boy. So I'm just going to keep it going. Um, I'll save my non-emotional one for for last. Uh, so I also want to call out, uh, these are like a, a combo of two anime 
Um, and I'll, I guess I'll talk about each one carefully, but kind of like in tandem. So if you haven't seen one of these two or haven't seen both of them, you, you may want to skip ahead to avoid spoilers. But I love episode one of To Your Eternity and Oshinoko. Mm, okay. So I know Oshinoko just came out very recently, so this could be major spoilers for some people who haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, but yeah, I, I would say both of these shows had the most impressive first episodes um, that we've experienced in recent years. To Your Eternities was great because the entire episode was the standard, what, 25 minutes, but it was almost like a mini movie in and mm -hmm. of itself, um, like a contained story that starts off the, the chain of events of To Your Eternity. But it was so unexpected. It took the community by storm, um, because everyone watched it thinking like this was the most emotional thing I've we've seen in a long time, and this was just the first episode. This was of, just the beginning. <laughs> yeah, of to your eternity. And then similarly, Oshinoko comes around and has a feature length episode, which is like what an hour and a half, mm -hmm. and it's a phenomenal episode. You you see all of these. Um, amazing storylines coming together, um, these themes around lies and the entertainment industry. And, you know, of course, they're setting up for what the rest of Oshinoko will be about. And then the ending comes around and it hits you so hard. It is incredibly emotional, but it wouldn't have hit as hard had Dogokobo either one broken up that whole arc into three episodes or two, if if they rush the beginning of it, all the, the build up to that moment, because you spend all this time in this first episode learning about the main characters, um, kind of seeing them go through their journeys. And you need all that build up for what hits you at the end when a life is taken. And it, it was just, oh my God, like I can't even describe it. It was just so good. It was so fucking good. And I don't understand... Um, how we're supposed to get anything better out of Oshinoko after that. I mean, the show's really good, but to peak at that moment, I don't know. Like, it, it was just, it left me in awe the way that Dogokobo did that first episode. Yeah. I guess talking holistically about both, uh, both To Your Eternity and Oshinoko's first episodes, uh, they're just great examples of pilot episodes as elevator pitches. <laughs> for a show and really getting you hooked because I, I think I, I feel like every first episode in anime needs to have that sort of attraction in order for you to become invested in the show but nothing really compares to how to your eternity and Oshinoko has done it and at both well I'll say like Oshinoko I know has the longer runtime but every single moment of that is important and I think it is it justifies that hour and a half runtime and same thing with uh to your eternity even though it almost felt like that episode was an eternity in watching it and i don't mean that in a bad way i think like every minute of that every second of that also was purposeful in really drawing you into the story while utilizing that time effectively yeah i think what what it really boils down to is both the first episode of Oshinoko and the first episode of To Your Eternity build up a character and then take them away from you. Like you spend mm. both of those episodes on this journey to get to know these really 
uh, important characters, um, characters that they get you to care about very quickly. And just as soon as you start to connect with them, they're gone. They've been taken away from you. And that's why it hurts so bad. That's why it hits so bad because you don't expect it. You spend so little time with them and you want more time with them and you just, you can't have it. So I have two more unforgettable moments in anime, but this one that I'm bringing up is probably the top unforgettable moment for me. And it's one that definitely lives rent-free in my head because I think about it every now and then. I am going back to Attack on Titan, specifically Season 3, Part 2. And that is the moment of Levi facing the Beast Titan. So basically, Levi versus Beast Titan, round one. That scene is phenomenal. Yes. And I've rewatched the clip of this on YouTube many times to the point where it's probably exhausting but every time I watch it it just sends chills down my spine and I think this is just because of several different factors I think one everything that was riding on Levi having this encounter with the Beast Titan uh, it's during a time where the scouts are heavily outnumbered and they basically are running into like a suicide charge against their enemies. Um, so Levi is kind of like their golden ticket to claiming a, a semblance of a battle victory. And he does it with, <laughs> no pun intended, with flying colors here. I think the second thing is just because of the animation of this, the sort of the sakuga of this scene. And I might get some flack for this, but I don't think anything that we've seen in MAPPA's adaptation of the final season has topped the quality of this scene with Levi and the Beast Titan. I agree. I I, I don't think that's a totally hot take. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a discussion for another day, but I agree. <laughs> yeah, this was one of which studio's shining moments in the series. And they didn't, at least I didn't catch this, but they didn't do any part of this with 3D or CGI animation. This was all, I think, 2D, which is just a testament to the quality of their work on the first three seasons and most especially in this scene. And we've talked about this, I think, in um, our Attack on Titan reviews. Um, so it's it's there somewhere. We've talked in depth about this scene and how MAPPA's work hasn't quite captured the magic um, that Wood Studio has done with ODM gear in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, this scene is like the epitome of that. It's just so well done. It's so fucking hype. The voice acting just like is the cherry on top from both sides. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Um, and knowing how important this bit of the mission is, not only to Levi and to the scouts, but to Erwin as well, It, I think that's that's why you root so hard during this fight scene. Um, and... You know, the way it ends up, it it's bittersweet because you know, again, what, what it means and what's at stake here. But it's also great because it leads us to other amazing moments, um, you know, later on in the show. I'm like obviously treading lightly. <laughs> um, but yeah, there there's a lot um, that this scene has writing on it. Also, I just love this moment because it's Levi. He's my, <laughs> like one of my 
favorite husbandos in anime. And I know there's like a a, a a sort of meme phrase online about people calling certain characters like he is him. I think this is a he is him moment for Levi. Have you heard of that phrase? I have not. It's basically just saying that this person is doing a phenomenal thing. And that's where the people are saying like, he is him or I am him. I don't know. It's just <laughs> stupid social media things. But here, Levi is him. <laughs> All right. Time for more um, sad moments. Uh, and I'm going to pull one from the very popular anime movie, Your Name. Hmm. And we okay. reviewed this, um, and in the review, I also talked in depth about the scene and how much I, I love it. Like, I love it, but I hate it. Um, and it's the moment at the climax or towards the climax of the movie where Taki and Mitsuha finally meet each other for real. And they're, like, chatting, and they're getting to, like, know each other and spending time with each other. And then they decide to write their names on one another one another so that they don't forget um mm. so they take like a permanent mark or whatever and they're writing so i believe taki writes on mitsuha's hand first and then gives her the marker and she's starting to write on his hand and then boom she's gone all you see is the marker fall to the ground and then you see taki's face and he's like what the fuck like he's stunned he's in awe because he's like where did she go? Like she's just gone. Mm -hmm. No warning, no um no sound design at all for it. Like you don't get anything. It's just boom, she's gone. And I love that. I love that they just make it happen so suddenly. And yeah, it hurts. It hurts real bad because you know what that means. Like you know what what happens after that moment. And it's a race against time. Yeah, it's a race against time. They start to forget each other and then the time skip happens, but that was their their chance to I guess possibly remember each other's names um yeah i don't know it just it hurts so bad because you go on this journey and you're so excited for them to finally meet face to face because instead they've been in each other's bodies and when it finally happens it's it's a great scene like it's a the scenery is beautiful um you know it's it's a it's a climactic moment because it has a lot of positivity around it based on where it's happening in the story and you're like finally like everything is complete and then it's not because she disappears before she can even write her name <laughs> on his hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was such a great choice. It, it was a very unexpected moment. And even He didn't even write his name. He wrote... I love you, <laughs> which, which is great, but it's also yeah. like, damn, dude. <laughs> it's like, write your phone number or something. But I get it. You know, it's supposed to play up to the romantic, cheesy moment. Uh, but yeah, just that sudden snap and then she's gone or like they're both Thanos gone from snap <laughs> yeah, they're both gone from each other's purview uh yeah that was that was great i mean it wasn't great in the moment because you're like oh my god what's gonna happen next but looking back on it it's like yeah fantastic storytelling that brings me to my last unforgettable moment in anime and you know i always got to do this bring up a stupid one from our, our childhoods i'm referring to pokemon the first movie when ash tried to throw hands with Mewtwo. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that watching that as a kid, you're like, damn, Ash is such a cool character. He's standing up to this, this powerful Pokemon. Then looking back on it uh, as an adult, you're like, Ash had no chance. He was going to get- He was fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. He was going to get fucking murdered by this 
really powerful psychic Pokemon. <laughs> but, uh, he gets turned to stone or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I just remember watching every time Ash tried to punch Mewtwo, he had that force field that would push him back, but mm-hmm. he would just keep going. It's like, man, this is peak cinema. <laughs> and I just love that when he turns to stone, his hat turns around. Like, how did that happen? All right. <laughs> did Mewtwo, yeah. like, take a moment to turn his hat around before, it's, like, turning him to stone? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And then you have the scene with, like, the Pokemon crying their tears, and somehow that makes Ash resurrect, which I guess is also an unforgettable moment. But, <laughs> yeah, man, looking back on Pokemon, the first movie, that movie was just really campy and corny as fuck. I remember that my uh, mom took us to see that movie in theaters, and uh, after that, she fucking hated Pikachu. She hates what? Pikachu. <laughs> she, I don't know. She just it was the voice. Yeah, maybe I don't know something about it, but she she hates Pikachu. I mean, she doesn't know much about Pokemon other than the movie that she watched, because you know she's she's a parent. She's gonna take her kids to go see it, um, but she's like, man, I hate that that yellow rat character. <laughs> Okay, so I have two more. I'm going to go with the emotional one, and then I'm going to go with the non-emotional one. So the emotional one comes from Made in Abyss. Meaty. Yes, I was waiting for you to do it. I knew it. Yeah, it's it's Meaty. It's Meaty. Oh, my God. The whole, the whole Meaty arc is... It hurts. It hurts. I mean, there's a lot that hurts both emotionally and physically in Made in Abyss. Um, but the the Meaty arc, I think, hurts the most. That one stings real bad because you learn about Nanachi and Meaty. Um, and you think that Meaty is just like a creature, right? And as of right now, Meaty is a creature. But Meaty actually was a person beforehand. And finding out how Meaty went from a girl to whatever she is now um it's it is rough it is fucking rough and then to add um insult to injury or add some salt to the wound nanachi actually uh needs miti to die because Mm -hmm. she's been trying to put miti out of her misery for a very long time and then along comes reg who can actually get the job done And does it, and it is just oh, oh my man. god! It is just an emotional roller coaster, and there's a lot of really intense moments in Made in Abyss, but this one, yeah, this one was rough to watch. And I remember when I introduced Made in Abyss to you, or I got you to watch it, I, I just kept saying meaty, and you're like, yeah. "What is that?" I'm like, "You'll you'll find out. You have to find out like the rest of us, but you'll find out." That's the special thing about anime is that it makes you care for these ugly ass blobby creatures <laughs> i've been thinking of kage and ranking of kings oh, yeah. and then yeah you have miti here who yeah had the, the stupid miti noise but then you learn about her backstory and man it just messes you up especially like hearing nanachi like just wail in tears afterwards and just kind of it tugs at your your heartstrings and again it's for a character that doesn't have any lines besides me <laughs> doesn't do anything it's mm-hmm. just a blob <laughs> and yeah it makes you like for me it really makes you hate bondrude as a character. oh man yeah, he's, he was like super involved in all of that shit and then you have the the film that comes out about him afterwards. Daddy Bone Druid. Fuck that guy. All right. So I'll, uh, for our, our section of uh, anime scenes here, I'll top it off with a uh, not emotional one. 
Uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. This one comes from my dress up darling. Can you guess what this one is? Oh my fucking God. Is it the love hotel? Scene? Yes. It's all of episode 11 of my dress up darling. So I <laughs> talked at Christ. length about this in our my dress up darling review. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it just, it sticks with me because I've never experienced such masterfully crafted sexual tension in anime and i I, granted i haven't seen probably as much lewd stuff as other people have so i'm sure that other weebs can can recommend things to me that are more sexually tensionified um than this episode but damn it was good it was great sexual tension (laughs) it was just great great romance all around like i ate up episode 11 dude okay all right <laughs> i'm gonna get into some detail here when he gets the boner i screamed i literally screamed yeah, i was sitting next did. to you on the couch and mm-hmm. i was like oh my god <laughs> i couldn't handle it it was like so bad but so good all around my dress up darling is a phenomenal show i love Monty, and she's my waifu um and yeah i wasn't expecting that boner so there you go well, they're they're in a love hotel. What else would you expect? I mean, yeah, <laughs> but like the whole the whole way it plays out, the scene, the, the episode from start to finish is just so good. Like mm-hmm. it's just so great because they're trying to be really innocent, trying to be really like on task the whole time, and then shit just happens. Shit hits the fan, yeah. and then it just goes in a direction you weren't expecting, but kind of like makes sense because, like you said, they're in a love hotel, and yeah, yeah, they end up in very compromising positions without them realizing it. And yeah. then when they do, it's because they hear some stuff go on in another room. Right? <laughs> and then they, they realize this. The thing about the boner is I just love how it's a split second. You can barely see it, but then it you see you see it starting to become erect, and then it cuts to another scene. I think that's what's brilliant about it. Like it doesn't focus too much on that moment. Yeah, they weren't trying to like put a boner in your face, but there was a boner in your face, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a blink and you'll miss it moment. But it like it like took me off guard or caught me off guard. And then the way they end the episode with like fucking Gojo in his room, I was like, oh my god. Oh fuck, I forgot. Like, he's saying her name right, and he's like hitting his head. Yeah, oh, but he's also he... hitting something else. Yeah. it's wow. I. It's wild. Dude, My Dress of Darling was so good, but episode 11 is by far the best episode of that first season. Well, I love how we started with an etchy moment and we basically ended with an etchy moment. There you go. (laughs) For like anime moments. But hey, it's not the end of the episode because now we're going to touch on a couple of moments from the anime industry and then we'll jump into some stuff from the anime community. I thought this would be a fun little add-on because there are things that have stuck with us that aren't exactly from anime itself. So I'll, I'll start this one off as well. Um, I'm going to start off with a really heavy one um, because I do want to recognize it, uh, but, you know, it is really sad. And it's the, um, the arson at Kyoto Animation. Oh. I had to call this one out because, like, this, this was impactful for the anime community, uh, obviously for the anime industry, but also for the fans. This was rough. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but if you're not familiar, there was um, an attack on the studio for the actual Kyoto Animation Studio, where a significant number of people uh, unfortunately passed away. And it was an individual who, I don't know how how confirmed this is, um, but I believe he claimed that Kyoto Animation had some plagiarism um, of some of his work. So then he set the building on fire and just, yeah, the whole thing was absolutely tragic. It was horrible. Um, 
but not, I hate to say but, but there was a lot of um, people in the anime community who were just distraught by this and the community came together and raised a ton of money for um, the families of the victims and for the studio. But I believe there were works that were lost forever because they hadn't been digitized in any way. Um, and this news was so big at the time that even my dad heard about it. And like he he knows we love anime, but he doesn't know anything about anime. But he even texted me. He's like, did you hear about this one anime studio that got attacked and, um, you know, asked us about it? Uh, so, yeah, the news was very widespread. It was um, absolutely terrible. And I bring this up because I think it, it shows how meaningful anime is to the fans um, and how important Kyoto Animation's work is. I mean, they've made some incredible shows and continue to do so. And to see them bounce back after this arson has been amazing. Um, mm -hmm. They're continuing to put out phenomenal shows, but we'll certainly never forget what was lost that day. First on my list for unforgettable moments in the anime industry, uh, this is one that lives unforgettably in, in a not so positive way especially as a jojo fan and i'm wondering if you have this on your list too i it's, do <laughs> it's when stone oceans sorry uh jojo's bizarre adventure part six stone ocean when it's episode releases were being handled by netflix let's just okay so i do have this on my list let's just say in general like netflix netflix fucking up part six stone oceans release just in general like the mm -hmm. whole thing was fucked up from beginning to end because we were watching, I forget which special event it was for JoJo, but this one specifically ended with the announce. Or no, maybe it didn't end it, uh, but it was it was one that was centered around Stone Ocean and re revealing the character design. So it was the anniversary event for right. JoJo, and okay. um, it was it, it was a like a live event where they brought the voice actors mm -hmm. on and they like talked all about like the. JoJo parts one through five at the time. And then at the end, they had a surprise announcement where they confirmed it was a long awaited confirmation of, uh, you know, Stone Ocean getting animated. Was it that event or was it the other event? There's another event that was centered around Stone Ocean and just talking about it like a, a, as a promotion. Oh, are you talking about after the review? Yeah, not the, the Joestar Inherited Soul event. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, because I'm not sure if this happened there or if it happened. Wherever it happened, they announced the release. And then as soon as I heard Netflix and I saw their logo <laughs> appear on screen, I was like, fuck. <laughs> that was my reaction. Because you, everyone knows how Netflix like to release their, their series. They do it in bulk. So it's like 10 episodes if it's like our episodes. But here, I think they did... Like it was the three episode cores, and there were like about thirteen or so episodes in each, which didn't work for a community or for a series like JoJo because there's so much hype surrounding the series, especially with the release of Part Six, that all of that hype it was still there when the episodes initially released, but it steadily declined week by week compared to other shows that are released on a weekly basis, and there's still. A lot of buzz generated about them. There's discussions online. But I remember looking at Twitter, what was formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> uh, people talking about Stone Ocean which, with each of the batch releases. Like They would get really excited after watching that batch. 
And then the momentum just fell off by the next weekend. You know, p- people were tweeting like, so is anyone still talking about Stone Ocean? It was just such a shame because I think we've talked about this on our other podcast, Strictly JoJo. Had this happened to a series like Attack on Titan, the final season, would like would that be affected in the same way? Yeah, we've talked about this um, at length over at Strictly JoJo. So for any of you uh, Strictly JoJo listeners who also partake in Strictly Anime, you, you've heard us say this many, many times. Um, but it really just sums up to this. Like Netflix messed up the release of Stone Ocean by choosing to do batch releases instead of doing weekly episodic releases. And that ruined the, the community behind Stone Ocean. Like, like Carl said, you, you didn't get that community coming together every week and talking about the episode that was released and theorizing what's going to happen next. Um, it just was like you got the initial hype and then it fell off because people were watching it at different rates. Some people were binging it. Some people were spacing it out. It just didn't work um, the way that maybe Netflix hoped it would. And then it just got worse because then they, had a, they did a second batch release where some of this shit got leaked, I think, by like um, by like a kid of an I don't know if this is for certain but I think like a son or a kid of an employee at Netflix had uh, leaked some of the episode titles and stuff Mm -hmm. so we knew ahead of time what was coming and that was kind of disappointing and then uh they shortly after the second batch release they did the final batch release out of nowhere it just came out of nowhere and there was very little promo leading up to each of these releases so like some people didn't even realize it was coming out there was no hype or build up leading up to it so yeah it was just messy all around and Mm -hmm. i hope it never happens again i hate that it was stuck behind netflix jail because of the agreement that they had yeah clearly netflix still doesn't have a grasp on like how anime works i mean they have released a lot of great anime to date uh like cyberpunk edge runners but you'd think with something like jojo's bizarre adventure and the allure and the fan base that that series has they would take that into consideration rather than applying this model that they think has been working for all of their shows and i mean i I know people would still watch jojo regardless but that community aspect of it and them being disrespectful of that aspect is what irks me the most about how they handled Stone Ocean's release. And then on top of that, Netflix, in a, probably in an attempt to get more subscribers, um, at least for the Japanese community, um, they released the batches and then they did not do uh, episodic releases on like regular TV until like several months later. Mm-hmm. So people who didn't have Netflix had to wait a pretty long time before they could actually watch the show. Um, and I'm sure we're spoiled all over the place on, on like Twitter and yeah. social media. So long story short, Netflix, please don't do that ever again. Yeah, fuck you, Netflix. <laughs> so I kind of have like a, a combo um, one as my last one for moments in the anime industry. Um, I'll, I'll kind of start off with a smaller one. And it's uh, during the heyday of Adult Swim when they played anime uh, pretty frequently and pretty early in their, their time slot. Uh, it's it's the promo that they aired for Inuyasha. I think I've shown you this before. Mm. It's a it's one of their bumps. It's one of their commercials that would just air, um, you know, again, promoting Inuyasha. But if you're an Inuyasha fan, you'll understand why this is so funny. It's just clips of Inuyasha and Kagome 
shouting each other's names. It's just Inuyasha, Kagome, Inuyasha, Kagome. And it's so stupid, but it's like Adult Swim level humor, which is great humor. Like they knew what they were doing. Like they knew this is what Inuyasha fans want and this is what Inuyasha fans know about the show. Um, so yeah, it's just a great promo. I'll, I'll send a link or share a link to it on the Discord for anyone who hasn't seen it. But And it's pretty old school too. Uh, but I just loved it so much. And then kind of on top of that to like add to that, just Toonami in general. Adult Swim's mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, heyday with anime is one of the best things ever because for many people like myself, that's how we got into anime. That's That was one of the few ways we could even get our hands on anime. Not, not even just like anime in general, but like more mature anime. Anime meant for, um, you know, more like adult viewers. Because sure, you had stuff like Sailor Moon and Cardcaptor Sakura and Pokemon. All that stuff was out there on different channels or different, um, you know, blocks or whatever. But Toonami was different. Like you had really good shit on there. You had Samurai Champloo, Cowboy Bebop, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, um, Big O. I know Big O is not like one of the best ones ever, but Big O was on there. Uh, Inuyasha was on there. That was my gateway anime. So a lot of us have Adult Swim Toonami to thank for getting into anime and having access to anime and fostering our love for anime. So yeah, I just had to call that one out there because I I love it. Anytime I can go back down memory lane and see the shit that was on Adult Swim's uh, anime block, I, I love doing that, like this Inuyasha promo. Yeah, I think without Toonami, I don't know if anime would have been as popular as it, it has turned into today. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much, Adult Swim, Toonami. So I have a couple more unforgettable moments in the anime industry. I think this one is more of, it's more recent, uh, but it involves the scandal involving voice actor Takahiro Sakurai. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about this. <laughs> uh, so uh, Takahiro Sakurai is the voice actor behind such iconic roles as Rohan from Jojo Part 4 and from The Spoke Kishibe Rohan, Regan from Mob Psycho, Giyu from Demon Slayer, and also Geto from Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, I think this story came out last year where Sakurai was married to a former voice actress and they've had an established marriage for quite some time. Uh, but I think this didn't come to light until previous year but it only came to light because it was also revealed that he, he's on this radio show and he had been having an extramarital affair with someone who was on the staff of this radio show and so i think that led to his radio show just being abruptly canceled uh, and so i think this kind of rocked the anime industry for a while although there have been similar incidents another one that's come to mind is with uh, Tatsuhisa Suzuki, who was the former voice of Draken on Tokyo Revengers. He was married to Lisa, the, the, the singer Lisa, who did the Demon Slayer OP, the first one. Uh, but it was revealed that he had committed adultery and was cheating on her. So it seems like, unfortunately, this kind of thing is commonplace in the voice actor realm. But for it to happen to uh, Sakurai, who seems like a very prolific voice actor was just it was just crazy to hear about uh, and this is wild because his marriage was a secret marriage mm-hmm. the whole reason that this was 
a successful two timing situation for a long time was because no one knew he was married. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you'd think that that would be pretty common knowledge that you are married to somebody, but because he had kept it a secret, I think the the other woman, like, she didn't know. She didn't realize what mm-hmm. was going on. It just, yeah, it was crazy. And it went on for what, like, you said, like a decade or something? Uh, So he was married to whoever it was for 20 years. Uh, and I, I don't, yeah, it was... The, the extramarital affair happened for yeah, 10 years. Oh, my gosh. So. Great. Dude, okay. I mean, as shitty as that is, I will give him props for being a master and keeping a secret. Mm-hmm. I mean, to lock that down for that long, that that is impressive, albeit a horrible thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know what... I know, like, his... I think he left his agency um, after this and... He re- he issued a statement along with that agency, uh, but I don't know really if he's continuing voice work. Although I do see on his anime list on Wikipedia that he is still voicing Geto in Jujutsu Kaisen season two, uh, so he does have some work out there still. But I think. Mob Cycle already wrapped up. I don't know what his status is in terms of voicing Giyu for Demon Slayer's next upcoming season. That remains to be seen. Um, although I don't think that's the case for uh, Tatsuhisa, Tatsuhisa Suzuki, who I just mentioned, because he's no longer the voice of Draken. And I think he also voiced uh, Anos, Voldigod. Yeah, in Misfit of Demon King Academy. And he was also replaced there. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with with Sakurai. The next unforgettable moment uh, in the industry, I don't think that this isn't necessarily in the anime industry, but it's one that is tangential to it. It's when the live action Cowboy Bebop series was announced. Oh my God, Netflix, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> yeah, well, I know it. they had previously announced the live action Death Note, which turned out to be a disaster. Uh, although Willem Dafoe was involved in it as Ryuk, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, but for me, this was a moment that I won't forget, and I, I wish I would forget, because this was an indication for me that Hollywood was turning to anime as a source of as source material for new shows and new movies. Now that people have almost become sick of reboots or remakes. But this was a series that had entirely backfired for Netflix. Although I don't know if they just they released this series and they produced this knowing that it would suck ass, uh, and then they had it out for however many weeks, and then they canceled the season two because of the negative uh, publicity surrounding it. But it was just heart wrenching for me because. As most of you know, like Cowboy Bebop is an anime series that Courtney and I hold near and dear to our heart, and it's it's an untouchable thing in that aspect. But Netflix decided, you know what, this would look great as a live action, but it really wasn't. And I can say that with sincerity because I watched that shit and I was utterly disappointed. Yeah, I don't know how you did that. That's crazy. I mean, I know that you, you did that... Um you know partly because you joined uh anime brothers for a discussion around it yes that was a with jd right (laughs) 
Yes, and it was a great discussion, but we were both basically roasting the shit out of it. So <laughs> I, I highly encourage everyone to listen into that episode if you had to watch the travesty that was the live-action Cowboy Bebop. My last unforgettable moment in the anime industry is more on the positive note, though, and that's with the release of Demon Slayer's Mugen Train arc as a theatrical film. Okay, I'm con- I'm confused. Why this was an unforgettable thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think just after the burnout of non-canon films, like those of My Hero Academia, it was kind of refreshing for me to see a, a franchise making such a monumental move by letting a, a canon story be released as a theatrical film. Okay, yes, I see what you're saying. Yes, that does make sense. Although, thinking about this, I know that Maiden Abyss previously had done this with, uh, what was it, Dawn of the Deep Soul? Yeah, because uh, it had those. It had the two recap movies, and then the third movie was actually... So it was a sequel to the first season. Yeah. But I will say between Maiden Abyss and Demon Slayer, uh, the latter is the more popular of the two. So that's why I think this is, at least for me, a more significant moment. Uh, because I think it, it, kind of, it kind of sets a precedent for other anime series to follow suit. Uh, I, I don't think I've really seen anything recently. I know like Jujutsu Kaisen Zero kind of fits within this space, although it's more of a prequel rather than a sequel to Jujutsu Kaisen Season 1, but I think it that still kind of works within that canon realm. Uh, and I think franchises and studios are taking notice of this because Mugen Train made over 1 billion yen in Japan in one day, whereas comparatively, I think Weathering With You the Makoto Shinkai film that came out a couple of years ago made 1 billion yen in its first weekend. So it's very lucrative on these franchises, on these studios parts to again, release a film that fits in canonically within a series rather than just being a, a cash cow that doesn't really matter in, in the long run. I guess both ways, they're still making money, but I think it's more fruitful for it to be something that's actually integrated within the anime rather than trying to fill in the blanks. Yeah, I mean, non-canon films have their place. It's it's for the people who want extra content, you know, for the show that they love. But it's, I don't know, it does get a little frustrating when it's marketed as like this big event and it doesn't even matter in the grand scheme of the anime story. Looking at you, My Hero Academia. <laughs> yeah, especially because they just announced a fourth movie. And I think it's supposed to, again, fill in the blanks between stuff that happens in season six without actually contributing anything to the story, which is stupid. But I feel like we're going to watch it anyway. Yeah, probably. <laughs> And finally, the last category is anime community. So amazing moments that we'll never forget from the anime community. I have two. Um, actually, I shouldn't say amazing because one is good and one is not good, at least in my opinion. <laughs> okay. I didn't have anything for this category, but I'm very curious. Honestly, I'm probably forgetting a lot of things. When I was thinking about what happened in the anime community that I'll never forget, I know that after this episode, I'm going to think 
back on stuff. I'm like, shit, I should have mentioned that in the episode. Um, so maybe that could be something we talk about in the future. Or maybe in the Discord, we can share some stuff that comes up after the fact. But these two in particular did come up for me. And the first one is the hype leading up to Chainsaw Man's anime oh, release. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, we saw a lot of crazy hype for the anime release of Spy Family, and we thought that was big. And then along came Chainsaw Man not too long after, and they're like, watch this. Mm-hmm. It was it was just insane. It was absolutely crazy. I've never seen, at least, you know, like that I can recall or in my time, I've never seen such powerful community bonding over Chainsaw Man on both the manga and the anime side because mm-hmm. the manga readers were so excited to see this um this anime or this manga adapted into an anime and then uh alongside that the anime only people like us were so excited to finally understand all of the hype behind Chainsaw Man and all of the amazing things that we had heard from manga readers and we even experienced some of this firsthand because, um, as many of you probably know, we went to Crunchyroll Expo la- last, last year. year. Yeah. Um, and that was a great experience. And part of that experience was actually seeing because Mappa CEO and some of the staff, like the the top level staff, were there. Um, the people working on Chainsaw Man, and they held a panel. For Chainsaw Man, and I think one of the biggest rooms that they had, um, the line was out the door. I didn't even make it into like the main part. Yeah, you went uh, to like the viewing room. Yeah, I was like in, on the side part in the viewing room. So technically, I was at the panel. I was just like on the side of the panel, so I didn't get I didn't get to see it firsthand. I saw it like on a giant screen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's how like filled the room was. It was max capacity. The energy was insane. Yeah, and people were just loving this panel. I mean, they were just so happy. That Chainsaw Man was getting adapted. They were so excited to see what it was all about. And yeah, you could just feel the love in that room and the excitement and the anticipation for the anime's release. Yeah, I was actually in that room with our friend Kevin because we managed to uh, get further up in line to make it within the room. Um, I had no idea what they were talking about. not having read the manga. I'm not sure if our friend Kevin knew of anything, but yeah, you could feel the energy in the room. And especially like when they were talking about Pochita. Now, like now I understand yeah. who Pochita is. Uh, but yeah, I, I've never seen hype for an anime like that probably since Attack on Titan. Uh, because I... I like you mentioned Spy Family, how there was a lot of hype around that show. I feel like I heard about Chainsaw Man way before Spy Family, though, um, with like the manga community just constantly pushing in our faces like, oh, my God, the Chainsaw anime is going to be so great. The story's so great. The characters are great. And then it comes out, and I mean, we have our review of Chainsaw Man. I think it was the first review of this year. And like I think we both thought that the show was great it's just that we're, we're expecting a little bit more out of it so hopefully what the manga fans were pushing on us like does come to fruition at some point for the anime yeah i think that it was it was great to see how excited people were and i kind of want to see more of that i want to see the manga and anime community come together in that capacity and just get really fucking hype for an upcoming show just like mm-hmm. everyone, you know, tear down those walls. I know sometimes manga readers are on this side and anime only people were on this side, but let's tear down that wall. Let's be hyped together and just get really excited about 
something being released because it was great. The energy was just so good. I, I loved every moment of it. And yeah, I would I would totally be down for more of that. Okay, so us talking about the hype for Chainsaw Man as a as a moment, it makes me think of something else as an unforgettable moment in a similar vein. But I'll save that because I want to hear what your second moment is. Which is kind of weird because we're talking about unforgettable moments and I only just remember this moment. <laughs> but I want to bring it up because now that I think about it, it's it's pretty significant. So this next one, I wouldn't say it's unforgettable. I would say it's a moment I'll never forget. And it's more a phase in the anime community, a phase during um, anime conventions that I'm glad is long gone. And that's the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya dance. The fucking dance. Like, I hate that song. That song song haunts me. I hate the anime. I've talked about this before. I just do not like... Haruhi, I don't like it. I've I've watched almost I've watched a significant amount of it, and I just don't like it. Um, and then when Haruhi was was at its peak, when it when there was tons of Haruhi craze, you of course couldn't escape the fucking dance, which I don't even know was it the OP was it the ED? I think it was the ED. You're talking about Hare Hare Yukai? Yeah, that thing, whatever it is. <laughs> that, well, that song's fantastic. No, the oh my god, I hate, is fantastic. I hate that song. I hate that dance and that phase, that era of um, anime conventions. You couldn't escape it. You couldn't escape that song. No matter where I walked in a convention, I could hear it in the distance and I could see the people doing the dance. And I'm like, I like, I don't, no, I don't. I'm not hating on people for doing the dance. I just personally don't like it. Like I, it's like caramel dancing. Like when that was a craze. Like I personally didn't do the caramel dancing dance, although I do it now just for fun. But I get it. Like people enjoy coming together and doing this like trendy dance um, as weebs. So I, you know, no, no harm, no foul. I just, I personally, am glad that's over and done with. <laughs> I hope it never resurfaces. I remember I tried to learn the dance just oh, out of God. spite, <laughs> along with our other friends and. Uh, we would just randomly play it during anime conventions or at hangouts, and it would piss you the fuck off, but we would just all start dancing <laughs> to it anyway. You loved tormenting me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Uh, but yeah, I guess my sort of honorable mention for this category about unforgettable moments in the anime community, this got me thinking after talking about the Chainsaw Man hype, I guess the hype surrounding Tower of God Oh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I remember people were just touting Tower of God as this amazing story, especially because it had come from a Korean webtoon, uh, which was unique for that sort of medium to be adapted into an anime. And so we watched it upon, I think there was a couple recommendations we got from friends about the show right? Oh, yeah. There was a ton of hype around it. And so we watched it, and it's probably one of the first anime reviews we've done on Strictly Anime. Like, you can search in our backlog if It's going like. to be cringe. Just, just be warned. <laughs> <laughs> and so we watched it, and it was just okay. <laughs> and yeah, it was like the biggest, like, boner breaker. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is it? Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is perfectly captured in a YouTube video by the channel Sylvanas. Uh, I forget the title of it, but it's basically talking about, or it's commenting on the hype that surrounded Tower of God and how much of a letdown it became. 
It's a really funny video. We'll mm-hmm. link it um, in the Discord as well. You got to watch it if you've seen Tower of God. And apparently there's a season two coming out for this now. Yeah, I saw. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't see any of like the promotional material. But as soon as I heard Tower of God, I was like, uh, I don't know if I feel like watching the rest of that show. <laughs> Well, okay, now you've made me think of one other one as well. And we'll end on a positive note um, with this one. And in the similar vein, it's the anime community coming together around Attack on Titan. We are in what we believe to be endgame for Attack on Titan. Hopefully, I know that Mappa keeps keeps extending it like season after season after season. But to be living in this moment in anime history, I think Gigguk said something along these lines. Like we are witnessing anime history being made this is like the same vibe when like kogias was airing like it's just it's so it's so hype it's so good we were watching like one of the most iconic anime unfold before us like we're we're so lucky to be in this moment where we don't have to hear about oh how good attack on titan was and then like oh well i'll go watch that classic show we are seeing a classic being made as it's like releasing i don't know it's i'm having a hard time articulating it but like it's just really cool to be part of history in that way like seeing it live it's it's a one in it's a once in a lifetime chance yeah and i feel like we suck major attack on titan dick on this podcast but it's (laughs) it's for good reason (laughs) we are Um, also jojo fans so you know (laughs) um i mean yeah, it's it's one of the best shows to come out of anime in recent memory, but also how much it has been injected into the general pop culture zeitgeist of of the modern day. Um, like people outside of anime are aware of Attack on Titan, and that's just how much of a monumental hold it has on on this community and on pop culture as a whole. So. Being able to witness this and being able to live in the era of Attack on Titan, I think, is just a massive privilege to anyone who has come across this show and has been affected by this show so much. Especially for me, because it's sort of been my gateway into anime and my gateway back into anime. So it's something that I, tr- it's a show that I truly cherish. And it's going to be very bittersweet when it hopefully finally comes to an end this fall with what was it the final chapters part two i don't even know (laughs) it's the final 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 of the final but either way it's going to be amazing and now that we've talked about all these amazing or not amazing moments that we'll never forget i think about the future i'm like what's going to happen with anime over the next couple of years are we going to need to revisit this topic and talk about more amazing things or maybe not amazing things (laughs) because i i feel like anime is at a point where just insane things happen all the time in shows like everyone's always or everyone these creators are, are coming up with more and more amazing um scenes more and more amazing writing and i i can't wait to see what the future holds but also there's crazy shit that happens all the time in the industry and the community so we'll we'll have more to talk about in the future i'm sure but i think that's what makes anime so special as a genre is that we have a lot of great moments whether positive or negative that i don't think we experience to this volume in any other genre, even in like regular pop culture. I mean, yeah, you have uh, like film series or 
franchises like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I, I still think like anime is one of the top tier genre in giving us really jaw-dropping and unforgettable moments, whether in series or in industry. And if there's any moments that you guys have in your brain that you'll never forget, whether it's for good reason or for bad reason, reach out, let us know. Because like I said, I feel like I'm missing some. I feel like I'm missing some amazing anime scenes um, that need to be on this list or crazy moments that have happened in the anime industry or fun, memorable things that happen in the anime community, especially just being a part of like anime conventions and growing up watching anime. Um, so please jog my memory. Please add to this list because there are some things that we we need to honor. We need to uh, remember forever. So yeah, reach out. Let us know what moments stuck with you. We'd love to hear them. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in each and every week. We and love you guys. for not forgetting about us. Yeah, not forgetting about <laughs> us. We love you guys so much. But of course, subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us and to tell us your unforgettable moments. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter or X, or whatever the fuck Elon Musk is calling it now, at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. And tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.